Today's scripture comes from Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, He will quickly grant justice to them, and yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I have to say, as a pastor, texts like this one are kind of difficult to deal with. Because we all know that even in the face of persistent prayer, Bad things happen to good people. That justice does not always prevail. That cheaters often do prosper. That uh, the tragedy happens to the innocent often even in the face of persistent and fervent and faithful prayer. And, and so it makes it difficult sometimes in dealing with texts like the one we hear today. This, so what do we do with this story that comes from Luke? It's unique to Luke. We don't hear it in any other gospel this parable about the it's kind of an amusing story actually we have this this unjust judge he's he doesn't like he doesn't like people he doesn't care about widows and orphans uh he's probably on the take you know he's getting what he has coming he takes care of him and his own uh he's not concerned with justice he's not concerned with the poor he's not concerned with anybody And here comes this widow, looking for justice. We don't know what her circumstances are, but here comes a widow looking for justice. And she will not let up. She nags him day and night. Judge, I'm not being treated right. Do something about it. You know what, lady? I've already settled this. I'm not dealing with you. I've got a golf I got a tea time coming up. I'm I'm out the door. Don't don't bother me anymore. No, you know what, Judge? Here I am on the golf course. You need to take care of me. I got some justice coming. I'm being treated unfairly. Help me out. I don't have time for you. Just get off my back. I'm I've got I'm expected for lunch at the yacht club with the Roman centurions and all of that. Oh here I am outside the yacht club, Judge. Look, this judge doesn't treat me fairly, everybody. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's sitting real nice, but he treats me badly. I need my justice. Well, he, she will not let up. 
She will not let up. And he's going, you know what? This woman will not let up on me. What am I going to do? Why not just give her what she wants? Fine. I'll give you what you want. So you will go away. <laughs> kind of a funny story. And, and you know, for, for Luke's people, uh, for the poor people that Jesus was talking to, the notion that you would get justice by nagging one of the administrators around the neighborhood, it, it is a funny story because that is not how it works. <laughs> uh, you know, she would have been thrown in jail herself probably, but it was an amusing story for the people who probably heard it. Uh, it kind of reminds me, it reminds me of the early Baptists in the 1600s when they got here when Roger Williams founded the Providence of Rhode Island, Rhode Island uh, plantations, along with John Clark, who was the pastor in Newport, Rhode Island. He and Williams and a few others, they started petitioning King Charles II for a charter that would grant them complete autonomy and re complete religious liberty. Everyone told them they were crazy. The king is never going to give you that. But they persisted. And John Clark nagged the king. And, and Roger Williams wrote books. Uh, one called The Bloody Tenants. That's a great name. The Bloody Tenants. Uh, kind of directed toward King Charles. Uh, granting them this charter that would bring, give them absolute religious freedom in the providence of Rhode Island. And, and Charles wrote like 10 different letters begging the king to grant them this, uh, this charter over the course of more than a decade and continued to nag and continued to nag and continued to nag. And I'll be darned if King Charles didn't finally relent and grant them what was called the Rhode Island Royal Charter. And it was the most extraordinary document of its time. It granted, not only did it grant Rhode Island complete religious liberty, Meaning that people were free to worship. This was this it, not not in the Church of England. They were completely allowed to be separate from the Church of England and granted complete religious liberty. Uh, Roger Williams said it was finally a place where where the Jew, the Christian, and the what he what he termed the the Turk, I think, or the Islamist, or whatever they called Muslims at the time. Uh, were free, or people of no faith were free to worship as they like, and declared the place to be completely uh, free for have complete religious freedom. Not only did they declare that, but the the charter gave them almost absolute autonomy. It was the first place that was given this incredible uh, democratic system of electing their own governors and they were able to set up their own government system and all, with almost no interference from the crown and all the other colonies were aghast they couldn't believe that the king would grant them this kind of autonomy and it came out of nagging and this document the Rhode Island Royal Charter was the basis that the Baptists held up when a uh, century later, a century and a half later, they were writing the Constitution of the United States and they were talking about the separation 
of church and state. It was this charter that guaranteed religious freedom that was held up as a precedence for that kind of idea. That eventually the Baptists helped make, helped guarantee, went into the Constitution of the United States. Incredible story. It kind of reminds me of all of that that nagging that goes on and it it helps me realize that justice often takes time and perseverance it was 101 years 101 years from the emancipation proclamation to the 1964 civil rights act 1863 the emancipation proclamation 1964, the Civil Rights Act. 101 years. Justice takes time and perseverance. Amen? Amen. And as we hear this story, what are we to make of what Luke is trying to get at here? I think Luke has this idea of perseverance in mind as he puts this story in for his community. And I imagine Luke's community is under a certain amount of, of pressure uh, and needing to hear about perseverance. Because for Luke's community, they're starting to wonder, uh, why aren't our prayers working? Why hasn't Jesus come? I, uh, I want to remind you that the f- earliest Christians... Uh, the writers of the New Testament, they were all expecting Jesus to come like any day now, within the next few weeks. Uh, That was until people started dying off and things started to happen. And then they started saying, well, maybe this is going to be a lot longer than we had expected. And Luke's community is starting to experience that tension, is starting to experience that struggle. Not to mention, add to that, living under Roman domination. Add to that, living under the persecution of being a sectarian group uh, who's being shunned by their own people. And uh, this big rift is starting to develop between them and and the community of their youth. And they're starting to wonder, how long are we going to wait How long must we wait until Jesus comes back and fixes all of this? And I think this is why Luke, what Luke is trying to encourage, uh, perseverance. And recognizing, as Martin Luther King Jr. has said, that the, the arc of history bends toward justice. But of course that can take a long, long time. I'm reminded as we look at this, at this text, that it does not, it's, it's about prayer, but it's not telling us to pray and pray and pray until we get what we want. We're told at the beginning that this was told, this was a parable that was told so that people would pray and not lose heart. What Luke wants for his community is not that they would pray and pray and pray until Jesus came. So that, so that Jesus would come sooner. But what Luke wanted for his community was that his people would pray, and no matter what happened, that they would not 
lose heart. And at the end of this text, Jesus wonders if when the Son of Man does come, will he find faith? You see, the issue seems to be one of this perseverance in our faith. And I can't help but think about Moses. You see, we're told in the first part of Exodus that when the Hebrew people had been taken to Egypt to live under the protection of Joseph, who was in charge of Pharaoh's affairs, and the Hebrew people prospered and lived in harmony with the Egyptians, and Joseph was a great hero. We're told that after Joseph died, uh, after a few generations, people forgot who Joseph was. And the Hebrew people continued to multiply. Well, it's got the Egyptians feeling a little bit nervous. Man, look at all these, look at all these Hebrews. A whole lot of Hebrews running around here. It's starting to sound familiar, isn't it? Uh, pretty soon they'll outnumber us. So they decide to enslave the Hebrew people. And they begin to build monuments, and they begin to build things, and they're under the thumb of the Egyptian rulers and their slaves. And I wonder how long were they slaves? How long did they cry out to God for redemption? How long did they cry out for God's salvation? How long did they cry out for God to come and rescue them from this oppression before Moses wandering in the desert came across a bush and a voice out of that burning bush said, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. And yet when Moses came back, the reception he got was, by, by most, <laughs> there were some who, who didn't receive him this way, but the reception he got was, I knew God had not forsaken us. And we had been praying all along. How many generations? How many, how many hundreds of years had they prayed? How long had they held on to the hope and the faith and the perseverance that God would not forsake them as a people before they got a Moses who would lead them to redemption. And I think that's, that's what I'm pulling out of this text for us today. Is that we, we don't get a Moses if we, if we sit back and accept slavery. See, the Hebrew people said, this is not right, this is not just, and I will not accept it. And they cried, even though they couldn't change it in their current situation, or maybe they struggled against it. But in the midst of that, they cried out to God, and God brought them a Redeemer. And they found their redemption and their salvation. But you don't get a Moses by accepting slavery. Amen?
And you don't get at Jesus by accepting domination by the Roman imperial system or by the domination system of the, of the Jewish aristocracy that kept people down. You don't get at Jesus who says the kingdom of God is something different than what you're experiencing today. You have to, you have, to have the hope that the world can be different that your life can be different, that your circumstance can be different, that what you're experiencing now is not the way things have to be. And you don't get a Martin Luther King Jr. by accepting segregation. You have to work and strive and insist on justice. And we, like this widow, are called to insist on justice before God and before the rulers of this world. And to insist on a different way. And to imagine, but it begins with this hope, to imagine that things can be different. To believe in our hearts that what we experience now is not all there is. To have faith, even the faith as small as a mustard seed. That the world we live in is not the kingdom of God that God intended, nor the kingdom of God that Jesus preached about. Amen? But that that kingdom is something quite different. And insist before God that it can be better to continually pray for that and to continually live that out in our lives and in the way we function together and to live into the hope we have for our own lives for the world around us. Amen? Let us pray. A loving and gracious God, we hear the story of this persistent widow and we are encouraged that we are invited to be persistent in our prayers to you but also insistent in our demand for justice in this world. And to not accept things the way they are, but to look for something better. And to strive for something better. And to live into that something better. In the hopes that you will bring that something better about. Through us. And in our midst. In your time. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And we ask these things in the precious and powerful name of Christ. Amen.